Hi, I'm Michelle Adams and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. Welcome to the very first episode of the Beyond Words podcast. I am going to be joined by a very special guest today, whose book I was lucky enough to read as a proof back in April. It was one of those books that really kept me awake at night, both because I couldn't stop reading it, but because when I did stop reading it, it was on my mind constantly. Every page is fast paced and the tension is absolutely palpable. Um, I am delighted today to introduce you to the author of The Hit List, Holly Seddon. It is such a pleasure and thank you for asking me as well. I really, really appreciate it. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for being here. For anybody that is not familiar with Holly, she is the author of four psychological thrillers, Try Not to Breed, which was a bestseller in the UK, Ireland, Germany and Australia and USA Today bestseller. And then her other books, Don't Close Your Eyes and Love Will Tear Us Apart. She is also the co-host of the very, very brilliant podcast, The Honest Authors Podcast, along with Gillian McAllister, where they discuss all the behind-the-scenes details of what it really means to be a published writer today. And let's start by talking about The Hit List, which has had a few different titles on the way to finding its place as The Hit List. Is that right? Yes, it has. And I've actually written it in capitals in front of me, so I don't accidentally give the old one. (laughs) It is called... Finally, and it finally really is forever called The Hit List. When I was writing it, and I'm bad at names, so I, it never keeps the, 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 net, you know, the working title, but it was called One Dark Turn. Okay. Kind of, I think what I was hinting at was like, one dark turn deserves another. And I said that to yeah. Jilly, my friend Jilly, she's like, but that's not an expression. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay then, because um, she was right. And then I just started calling it Marianne, because that's the character's name, which I knew couldn't stay. And yeah. then it was called After Dark, which took some back and forth. And I was quite pleased with that. And then another book um, was announced with the same name, <laughs> um, which was due to come out before mine. So then we came up with The Wanted, which I did, I did like, um, I but it wasn't quite, do, yeah, I like it, but it wasn't quite right. Like it just didn't quite get across what the book was about. And the hit list is just, it's just the right name for it. <laughs> like as soon as we, as soon as we hit on it. Of all the ones that you, of all the ones that you've had, I think the hit list is the best one. Mm, I think so too. Luckily, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if I said, "Oh no, 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 the first one's bad." That would have been <laughs> yeah. a disaster start. That would have been. <laughs> yeah, the hit list rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> so, so tell me about it. Tell me what the hit list is about. Okay, so the basic premise is you find your name on a hit list and you have absolutely no idea why or who put you there. Um, So it features a character called Marianne who's a teacher living, she's a widow and she's a teacher living a kind of an ordinary life. She's just started a new relationship very tentatively um, after her husband died a year previously and 
she it's the anniversary of his death and she's going through his things which is something that she does in private quite a lot it's her way of kind of processing what happened and she for for months she was going through like reading old emails between them and that kind of thing and and then on this night she ends up delving a little bit further on his computer and she actually realizes that he's been going on the dark web and she's had a bit to drink and she's feeling very sort of raw and emotional and she does some things that I think um, she's faced with curiosity that kind of takes her over and she ends up having a look around and that's when she stumbles upon the hit list with her name on it and that's where and from that point onwards it goes bonkers. (laughs) And it's just terrifying because like in one hand, she is mourning the loss of somebody and finds out that there's this whole other side to them that she just mm. had no idea about it. And on the other hand, there's this thing that, well, my life is also involved in something that I've got no idea about because here I am on a hit list. Yeah, yeah. And she literally has no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think there's much more scary. And the person no. that... <laughs> She should be able to ask is gone and she doesn't know who else to ask because it's not the kind of thing that you can just phone tech support and say like <laughs> yeah why, you know why would this happen <laughs> so how did you first come up with the idea about the dark web because I've heard of the dark web but I know nothing about it it just seems like one of those mm. sort of um, intangible things that exists but was it the dark web that inspired this story or, or did the inspiration for the story lead you into the dark web the inspiration for the story led me. So I, so I was aware of the dark web um, several years ago before my first book was published. I was actually an editor of a, a parenting and technology website. And it was around the time that the dark web was kind of coming to mainstream awareness because of things like there was a, there was a marketplace called the Silk Road where all sorts of things could be bought and sold, things like that. And it was just kind of bubbling into mainstream news and awareness and things like that so obviously because our website had a parenting and technology slant to it um more the technology than the parenting and this in this respect we wrote about it so I became aware in that way and it was something that always fascinated me and areas where there are no rules have always fascinated me so the concept of like international waters and that kind of stuff Um, But the actual original idea came from the Ashley Madison hack. I don't know if you know about this. It was a a website. Yeah, so it was a a website for people who wanted to have um, affairs, basically. I mean, it's grim. (laughs) And um, somebody hacked it. And um, when they hacked it, they made all of the user data searchable and it remains searchable there's a website you can still go to it's not been taken down and you can search for anybody's email address yeah um yeah because when I mentioned this to my daughter we were talking about this book and she was like oh yeah no I've I've searched you and daddy's email addresses I was like what (laughs) obviously we weren't on there but it's so it's quite well known at least among my teenage children um but this idea absolutely fascinated me the idea of being so vulnerable, because the other thing that sort of came out about this hack was that um, some people had been put on as a prank. Some people had been, had signed up not quite knowing what it is and then tried to cancel. Um, so it was literally every email address that had ever entered the, you know, the database. And obviously plenty of people were on there because they were trying to have affairs. Um, so I, I'd been kind of batting this around for ages, you know, what that must feel like to all different sides of the coin in that example but being a sort of a 
a thriller writer, um, it, affairs alone obviously isn't enough. Um, and it just hit me one day, what if instead of an infidelity website, it was a murder for hire website. And that was it. So from that point onwards, obviously that, that naturally took me towards the dark web. But I'm, I've been quite careful actually in the book to be quite vague about it because it is a pretty, um, pretty tawdry, um, risky place. Like it's not something to, to play around with. So you won't find any real names of dark websites or any accurate specifics of how to get on it. It's all kind of alluded to, um, but it's alluded to things that, it alludes to things that really are there. Like it's not, it's, pos it's possible just about. And when, and when you were researching for it, did you research the actual facts about the dark web, even though you say it's only really mm. in the hit list, did, could you now sort of, would you know where to find it? Did you have to research that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I mean, because I had this sort of background in, in um, writing and editing um, pieces around technology, I had some um, sort of basic knowledge of it anyway. Um, and I remember a really, really long time ago, um, a friend of mine who used to, who first went on it basically to, to copy pirated music and mentioned it to me, um, which I was horrified, <laughs> horrified by. Um, so, I mean, that was a really, really, really long time ago. Um, but yeah, so to, to actually check, sort of check my workings out without having to actually go on it. I watched a lot of YouTube videos of people accessing it. I also spoke to somebody who has used it or via, via somebody else, via an intermediary um, and just said, can you technically do this? Can you technically do that? If this, then that. And just check, like I say, check my workings out. Because um, as much as I wouldn't want anybody to, to go on it, I also want it to be, you know, <laughs> relatively plausible. Otherwise, there's no actual, it's not yeah. actually frightening if it couldn't actually happen. Uh, so it can happen and it is frightening. It needs to feel almost as if you could read the book and then know how to access it. Yeah, I think it needs to feel like if you were confronted with that possibility you're a couple of clicks away from falling down a similar rabbit hole um now most people if they did if they did actually you know if they did go on it and go looking around wouldn't find themselves on a hit because you know they'd have to have been put on there in the first place but um but still it has to be it has to be possible i think to be truly frightening and it was truly frightening i really felt the moment you sort of get to that point in the book oh my God, what would you do in that position? You, it's like the life that you knew is gone and the life that you thought, yeah. Yes. Is yes, it was all, it was all potentially a lie. Because I think if you discover that one element of your life is a lie, you lose Question. trust in all the other elements. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's one of the reasons why I like this book so much because, I mean, I read a lot of thrillers, but... Well, the thrillers that really sort of resonate with me, the thrillers that rather than just being a sort of race through a really exciting ride or very, very dark, they feel really connected to the life that you live as if you could almost mm. very, very easily slip into this story from your own life. Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, I'm exactly the same. It, I, you know, I enjoy um, sort of things that are set in wildly different you know circumstances to my own and I enjoy them in a slightly different way more like a spect 
spectacle that I'm enjoying. But when for something to really grab me, I have to be able to see myself in it. And like you say, see yourself as a couple of steps from, from falling into the same situation. Um, and I think that's partly why I made her so normal. And she's a teacher as well. And that carries extra sort of um, complications in terms of you know going on the dark web isn't she's not allowed to like that isn't something that a teacher should do and it could cause problems you know even just sort of looking around on it could cause problems and I, I found a few sort of news stories about disciplinary um situations that have happened because of teachers going on the dark web um and that also you just mentioning Marianne there about her being a teacher you also had like this question over her life because she has this relationship with um, somebody that was a student mm. and, and I really like the fact that you you sort of make us also question her motives and at some point you wonder whether maybe she's ended up on this hit list through mm. not somebody else's actions but but her own. Mm. I think everybody's every nobody's black and white everybody's got shades of grey and everybody's got things that they regret I think you know, they may not openly admit them, but everybody's got things that they would wish to change or wish they hadn't done or, yes. you know, um, lines they wish they hadn't crossed, whatever it might be. And I think that anybody being confronted with um, news that somebody was out to get them or somebody hated them or whatever would probably be able to rack their brain and think, even if it seems far-fetched, maybe it was this, or maybe it was that mistake I made, or maybe it was this thing I said to that person. And and so I think she had to realistically have something that would make her question why, um, why she was on there and if she had sort of contributed to it herself. And, and also from a sort of, um, from a sort of plotting point of view, um, there also had to be extra reasons why um, she would feel so alone. In, in having to sort of work this out herself, that, that she didn't just have her sort of like big picture, her life at risk, as in, yeah. you know, to be killed. She also had smaller picture, her life at risk, as in to lose the way that she currently lives her life, to lose her job or to lose her loved ones. Um, yeah. So hopefully that, that sort of made sense. It really, it really did. I thought, I thought that was done really nicely. I love the, the question that hung over her throughout the throughout the book thank you <laughs> and th- with with Marianne like there's there's a big there's a big female element in this book which I don't know how much I can say about it because I obviously don't want to the way it hasn't come out yeah. yet um, <laughs> but there's a bit there's a big question about um sort of the position of a, of a woman in society mm. and and what they do and one thing that I, I found myself wondering whilst I was reading it is because I know where you live in the world and you live in a place where um, there is a huge sex industry mm. where women are um, monetized in a way and sold being Amsterdam. And I wondered if mm. that was something that could inspired you with this story. Your oh, own that's such a good that. question because I, you know, it must have, it must have, but I don't, I don't think I really knew that I think there were a few things that kind of came together um to make it so to make I think to 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 push these questions into my mind I guess and and some of this book is working through some questions and finding I think not not clear-cut answers actually um because very few questions (laughs) had clear-cut answers so um 
yeah I mean partly it was also that um my own daughter was um was growing up and turning into an adult and I think that's you know she's going out into the world on her own and just recognizing her strength and her vulnerability you know in a in a way that sort of quite I'm so proud and so scared all at the same time so it's partly that I think um yeah and I think yes I think you're right I before I moved here um I actually when I was a teenager when one of my first flats I lived in by myself was next door to a brothel which obviously was illegal and I used to hear the answer phone going off day and night and people leaving messages and it was so like just boring it was so like such a big sort of big dirty secrety thing you know growing up was reduced to like like as if it was a doctor's surgery hearing these messages it really kind of yeah it became really mundane and maybe that sowed a little bit of a seed about how you know these these women were giving such a piece of themselves to just be chomped through by by clients or by um you know uh people controlling the sex workers and I'm talking about women who don't who aren't who don't have much agency I'm not talking about empowered um empowered sex workers who've made that decision themselves because I do actually think that's a very different thing but yeah um sort of going back to that that early experience that that how um how yeah how meaningless almost that transaction was for so many parts of the chain when it really some somebody was giving so much of themselves, if that makes sense. But, but what I was going to say is actually living here, I think I probably have seen more of a fuller side to it. And, and um, I'm definitely more aware of sex workers' rights and um, that it isn't just always about, um, you know, people being forced into it, which I think growing up was kind of what I assumed. It's a big assumption by the wider yeah. population who don't have any experience of it that's exactly it and and you know women aren't always just um people who need to be saved from something um but sometimes they are as well um so yeah I I don't think I really give any um absolutes um in the book really it's more about all those gray areas yeah and and the women that you portray in the book as well I felt them as very as very whole people um because you see you see whole lives um, you don't just get a slice of, of, mm. of what they do for a job or how they ended up in a certain situation. You see the whole picture and how things are created. And so, um, yeah, it was just something that really that really tweaked to me. I'd seen something on the news last week as well about um, about the red light district in Amsterdam mm. where there was um, there were two brothels and in between it was a nursery and it was one of the best nurseries yes. in the Netherlands or something. And I, and I just thought, yeah. well, it painted it paints such a different picture of the impression that someone has of it. And that was the same, the same thought that I had when I was reading the book. Mm. The women that were in the book were just, um, they were very full. Thank you. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Moving here, it's very much threaded into, um, you know, I live um, like in a really lovely sort of area surrounded by museums and and nice shops and nice cafes and, you know, clean, well-to-do looking um, bottles. Like it's yeah. just, there's, there's no sort of, um, there's no, there's no shame and nobody really notices them anymore. And in the morning when I used to walk my son to, to school, when he went to a different school, I used to walk past um, a little strip of um, red windows, which is where the girls and women um, sort of stand. 
and wait mm. and at that time in the morning they were just being cleaned so the cleaners were in rubber gloves on cleaning everything <laughs> and it was again it was like the mundanity of something so just like going to the GP like booking an appointment yeah and like- yeah and so for my kids they are used to sort of seeing those women as not doing anything wrong I think and yeah I mean it's a complicated one as a parent to sort of raise kids here but um everyone seems to have pretty healthy idea about like sex nudity here so obviously they're doing something right so yeah yeah that was what the in this article I read last week that was what the um the nursery owner was saying she said the children who are raised here they're not being raised in a seedy way they're raised to think Mm. of all parts of society as full people with full rights and um and I and I could see the positives of it really yeah yeah yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complicated issue and I actually don't know fully how I feel about it, but I certainly feel less, um, I certainly feel more uh, exposed to lots of different sort of arguments and elements to it, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and that was kind of leading on to one of the other things I wanted to ask, it, which is about how the book for me, it, it made me think, it made me think about the sort of the playing field that, that women and men are on, because... Again, I don't want to raise anything that is give anything away, but there's sometimes we, we think of men in some roles, women in other roles, but I don't know, this this book kind of subverted that for me a little bit, put, put power in, in, in different hands. Um, and I wondered if if you were trying when you wrote it to sort of make people question about the the whether women have different expectations to men or whether there are rather different expectations of women than men. Yes, I think I was partly thinking about that. I think I, I think I'm good. I think there's a, there's been so many questions that have been thrown up over the last few years that I'm still working through. And I, I think a lot of us are around consent, around um, power, around um, victimhood, around um, who gets to define what a victim is around um, who gets to uh, rescue, who gets to be seen to be rescued. Um, And I think, and also around the kind of the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and why we do the things that we do. And I think that that's almost more what it was around than, than gender really. Um, but I certainly, yeah, I mean, I'm, t- I'm trying not to give anything away, but it was certainly sort of going through my mind around um, expectations, but also I think the way that we let people off the hook um, because of things that, oh, it's really tricky not to give anything away, but um, yeah, the, the, the way that we let people off the hook because they seem nice. Yeah. The way that niceness can paper over an awful lot and can be very dangerous. <laughs> it's like, it, how, do you ever really know somebody? Because you you think of somebody at work or um, mm. out with friends and they seem like a really nice person, but the truth is we don't know what they do when they go home. Exactly. And I think often they don't even know who they are. I think that so many people... Like, really sort of like mundane example, but when you, um, when you poll people around whether they are a good or a bad driver they will generally say that they're a good driver like but yeah. not everybody can be you know a better than oh, yeah. average driver Limassol, and I can tell you that there are a lot of bad drivers <laughs> <laughs> but I think we we you know we like to see the best of ourselves and we also know the reasons that have led us to do 
a certain thing. So we can justify those decisions to ourselves in a way that we don't afford other people the same generosity. So if somebody else, you know, steals, they're bad. But if we stole, it was because we needed to, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah. that's, I guess that's where I was coming from as well. Justifying things to ourselves. Mm. And there's a huge twist in the book. Yes. <laughs> what, do you th- what do you think about twists? What's, what's your take on a twist? When does it, um, when does it work well? And when does it, because we all see like huge twists being published and publicized. Mm. What do you think about twists overall? I think that we've got ourselves into a bit of a bind where people expect it. Um, and I think that it only works if, if it really earns its place. And I think that it's very satisfying when it's done right, but it's very unsatisfying when there's any element of cheating. Which you were just nudity or something, whether it's good for the story or whether it's not. Yeah, and I think the way that I, the way that I write twists, which is, I've not actually ever spoken about this, is I write as if the, the idea that I'm trying to get somebody to believe, I write that as if that is the absolute gospel truth. And I believe it 100% myself until the point of the twist when I then take that away from, from myself at the same time, if that makes sense. Yes. So the whole time I'm writing it, I'm writing it as if I believe entirely what the reader will also be believing. Um, and that's the only way I can do it. Arriving at the twist, I, I literally stopped and turned a couple of pages back. <laughs> what? what? Hang on, what? <laughs> Did I miss it? <laughs> so I think, I think this one was just brilliant. I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> do you have, uh, in another book that you're going to write in the future, do you think that you'll use twists again? Is it something that you consciously do or do they just arrive in the story without without planning the twist will generally for me appear in the rewrites so my my first draft will generally not have a twist in it because I'm just trying to flesh it out work it out work out who the characters are get you know the 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 main plot points down and then when I get to know the characters and the settings that's when the possibilities kind of emerge for, for for a twist or or for um not necessarily a, a sort of a shocking twist, but just, you know, a reveal or something that sort of subverts expectations. And until I actually sort of start writing it, I can't really predict exactly what it will be. What I would say is that um, I try with every book to plot intricately, but accurately. I, like it has to all, it has to all work. Um, and it's a bit of a puzzle box. You're a planner. I am now. Yeah, I am now. Um, I think because I'm, because I have deadlines now and because I have run aground before and waste and thrown away books, thrown away things that I've started, (laughs) um, run aground. So I have to, um, plan and don't get me wrong, the final version won't look a lot like the first plan. Um, but I have to plan first draft and then I have to plan the rewrites. Um, and then there's sort of, obviously within that framework there's a lot of fluidity and surprises and sort of you know avenues that emerge as I'm writing characters that were were supposed to be support just you know minor support characters who interest me and sort of become become more but essentially I need a framework or I'll I'll get really horribly lost (laughs) (laughs) um so what do you have planned for the future which which books are you planning to write at the moment are you writing Mm, or I 
am. I'm actually very near the end of a first draft, which will then need utterly rewriting. But um, yeah, I'm, this is, so book five is what I'm currently writing. And um, it's had a few false starts. I've got halfway through a couple of times and then kind of realized that it's not quite right. And not not being able to quite work out why and, and trying something else. And then that's not quite right. And I finally sort of got it. I think. <laughs> um, so, so now I'm kind of nearly, near, yeah, nearly at the end of that first draft. So you're going to fit, you're finishing book five soon and then submitting it to your agent? Well, I'm going to finish the first draft and then I'm going to do a lot of rewriting and then I'm going to submit it to my agent. Yeah. Do you have, do you have beta readers and people that will read it before it's finished or are you a person that likes no. to keep it to yourself until you think it's done? Um, the only person who ever reads it and actually hasn't this time, but generally will read in chunks as I go is my agent. Anybody else, I'm very susceptible to other voices and I'm very susceptible, even to the point of, you know, what I read when I'm writing can send me off in wild directions. I have to be quite careful. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm very sensitive to, yeah. Like if I read, you know, if I read an amazing speculative book while I was writing it uh, there is a real risk that I might be like let's set this on the international space station so I have to be <laughs> quite careful um but also I'm very very sensitive to criticism and it will really knock me off course quite a lot so my um my agent is very calm and kind and constructive in her feedback which um is I'm very grateful for <laughs> so she's the only one that I trust basically that's so great that you've got an agent that that can do that for you because that relationship I mean I don't know how you feel but um for me like the relationship with my agent it feels like the most important relationship I have in publishing um because yeah, I'd say that's probably true champion. they just they're the person that's going to champion you through, mm. uh, through new editors new genres new ideas yeah and they're the person that sees you at your most raw because they're the person that sees your idea they're yeah. the person that sees all the working drafts of that idea way before you send an outline to your editor. They're the ones that sees it at its most bonkers, I guess, at its most flawed, um, at its most sort of silly, you know, until you get it, until you get it right. And they, and you have to like have a lot of faith that, that they believe in you and they believe in what you can produce to make yourself so vulnerable to show them, you know, yeah. your bonkers stuff along the way. Um, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very, very, um, yeah they're not judgmental and I'm very grateful because um, my agent's absolutely brilliant yeah she's brilliant for that that's great what about any I've heard you mention before about non-fiction books do you think that you will write one or are you writing one I would absolutely love to and I, I plan to I do plan to um, as ever with all my plans it's a matter of time um, yeah I there's a couple that I, I've been batting around for well, one in particular for absolutely years, and it's a, it's a, um, it's around a real, a real person who existed, who has sort of slipped out of the public view, um, and really, really shouldn't have. And I'd really like to do her the justice of exploring her life and celebrating her life. And um, I've got, um, I've been in contact with with her family, her her existing family, who. Um, you know, know that I would like to work on this project, um, but I haven't got time yet. Yeah, and there's another one which is more broad historical, because um, I'm a history nut. And so there's something else that I'd like to do, which is more around something that happened that was a really huge deal in the news at the time, 
just after World War Two, and then sort of slipped out of slipped out of the news. But um, I'd be really cagey, like someone's going to steal my idea. But um, <laughs> you never know. Somebody might be listening and be like, "I'm really interested in the Cold War as well. I'm going to write that." What about other genres? Would you, other than nonfiction, would you think about writing in another genre? Um, well, I accidentally kind of did with my third book um, because it started as a suspense and, and became what is called women's fiction. Um, and like I say, that, that, was a, that was kind of an accident because I got to know these characters and couldn't put them through what I planned to put them through. Um, and, and I absolutely loved, oh, I loved that book. I absolutely loved writing it. And it, it's, it remains probably one of the most blissful writing experiences that I've ever had because it's not normally, it's not normally blissful. But you can't chop and chop and chop around. You have to be a little bit careful because of people's expectations and, and publishing sort of, um, you know, is partly about what, um, I guess, what sort of name you've built for yourself and, and, and all of that. So I'm not saying I would never, but just I would be, I would be careful. I read very, very, very widely, um, but I think that I think that what I write now, which is a kind of complicated, emotionally rich thrillers, gives me a lot of scope to explore a lot of things. Like I'm really interested in um, espionage. <laughs> Sam, such a weirdo to say these things. <laughs> but I'm really interested in history. I'm really interested in. Um, yeah, like women's issues and, and, and rights and things like that. And I can kind of do all of that. I can explore all of that through the framework of the thriller genre. So I'm quite happy here for now, I think. <laughs> and you writing just brilliant books as well. So why change? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and other than writing, obviously, you have the podcast. Um, yes. For four, four years now, have you been doing the podcast? God. Yeah, probably is. Yeah, we've just we've just finished um, season four of the Honest Authors podcast. Do my little plug, um, but yeah, the finale hasn't gone up just yet. But I remember finding it sort of. I think I probably found it just as I was publishing for the first time, and I and then as well, like I live abroad, so I, I'm not at events. I don't go to launches. Mm. And it's almost like when you listen to it, it, it's like, okay, I have a link now to the writing world, a link to other writers, and you can hear about the experience. I I find it really, really beneficial. Oh, well, I'm so, I mean, that was the whole point. Honestly, that was the whole point is that that's what we needed. You know, me and Jilly McAllister, Jilly McAllister, um, we were sort of groping around in the dark. I'd had one book published um, and then, and she was about to have her first book published and we just, we had loads of questions that we didn't dare ask other people. So we were kind of asking each other, even though we were both kind of know nothings. <laughs> and we realised that um, a lot of people were in the same position. And also it gave us the, I think, the confidence to ask questions and to learn things because we were almost asking and learning on behalf of everybody who listened to us as well, if that makes sense. Um, it's, one of, it's been one of the best things I've done. Yeah, you, you were putting yourself out there and saying, you know, when you to help us with yeah. this and it was new at the same time, I was like, oh, thank, thank God. Why would you know what acronyms stand for? And why would you know who does what in a publishing you know, yeah. company? And why would you understand Amazon's algorithm? Like, why would you? Yeah. Um, but I think so much about getting published is based on feeling like you're, 
you're, you're hammering on the door and feeling like it takes luck to get through and all of these complicated things. And I think so much, so much of your early time, you feel so grateful and so glad and so terrified about it being taken away that you don't want to risk anything. So you yeah. kind of, as if, as if you'd ask your editor a, a question about what, a, what BookBub is and they'd say, we're cancelling your contract because you don't know anything. I mean, it's not, it's not realistic, but. And when they ask you to delete your favourite section, of course, of course, yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it must be so hard being, you know, being an editor, being an agent, dealing with sort of first time authors, because we don't act like real people, I think, at first. We're, we're almost childlike, I suppose, yeah. and um, it must so, be quite tiring. <laughs> I remember going for dinner um, with my agent and my editor, and I'm sure I must have just sat there, like, you know, wide-eyed and smiling. Like, oh, smiling, yeah, smiling like an idiot, yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> grinned through every meeting about everything at first. <laughs> it's nice to know that we're all doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, all these weird Richter <laughs> smiles pretending we know everything they're talking about. Um, Holly, it's been so nice to talk to you about this book today and the, the, wider, the wider sort of subject of writing and the podcast. And um, I just want to say a massive thank you for agreeing to be on this podcast. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. I'm very, very flattered. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to have you here. Um, one thing I realised we didn't do because we just started chatting straight from the off is that we didn't do a reading. And oh, I'm yes, really you're right. if you could to just read yeah. the passage of the hit list because I think it would be um, a really lovely way to to introduce people because I think we'll probably publish this podcast just after you've been published by like a couple of days or so so by you then that's going to be a really lovely thing to have yeah no that would be brilliant um yes it's out in ebook on the 28th of August um and then out in paperback on the 15th of April uh, next year which seems a million a million years away but um yeah no that would be great do you want me to read I've got like the first three paragraphs of the the opening yeah a shadow falls across marianne's shoulders her toes curl on the cool decking and a shiver crawls down her back compared to her hackney flat noah's richmond townhouse is a mansion but it's this tiny chilly garden that she loves the most walled on all sides and invisible to the neighbors it's crammed with an ornate cherry blossom tree planted by his late wife that leaves just enough room for a wooden bench she tucks into its corner lighting her cigarette and looking out at the bare branches When Marianne first sat out here a few months ago, shaking with guilt and exhilaration after their first night together, the tree was alive with pink blossoms. This morning, she had to brush the dead flowers away. Subtle waves of old petals bunched up like little fists. As she drags the last lungful of smoke, she allows herself the briefest memory of her and Greg's last weekend together. Tea toast the observer. No cigarettes, no terrace, nothing new to learn about each other, and no easy chat, no peals of laughter, not like it had been. But under the silence, there was still deep affection, a foundation into which they both poured years of love and respect. Thanks so much. It's been so nice to talk to you. It's so interesting when somebody asks you what's gone into writing a book, you know, what's inspired you? Because you think, I don't know, like loads of things that I don't even realise were inspiring me at the time. So, but yeah, thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's been so nice to have you here. I'm so pleased to have you talking about this book on the podcast. I'm, I'm really honoured that you said yes. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Thanks very much, Take Holly. Care.
Bye. Bye.